Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Tea with Tash podcast. For those who may be new around here, my name is Tash and I am your host of this dysfunctional episode that you're about to listen to. I want to start off by saying, and I'm sure people are aware, like dramatic pause, it's December motherfucking first. Santa Claus coming to the town, the Christmas spirit is here, and I am ready The only thing I'm not ready for is the chance of having a Christmas without seeing a lot of my family, which completely bothers me because I am somebody who grew up with massive Christmases. Um, I may have mentioned a couple times that both of my parents' side are big families. So to not see my families, plus all my extended family, my aunts and my cousins and my godsisters and brothers... Um, It really bothers me. So I'm really hoping and praying that the numbers go down. I'm hoping everybody is staying safe. Um, As I've mentioned again a million times on this podcast, I am a healthcare worker and it is no joke. Shit is real. Um, Just stay safe. Stay healthy. I'm doing my best to keep my circle super small, my immediate family, um, my boyfriend's family, and that's my grandparents, and that's literally it. Um, But on the flip side, I have such a fun episode for you guys. Um, We're chatting with somebody who I think is perfect timing for the Christmas season. It's one of those times where everybody is not only spending a shit ton of money on gifts, and I'm sure I, I consider spending money is like Christmas spirit to me. I get excited. I go through phases where I buy everything at once or I'm super last minute. Thankfully this year I'm like super early. All of my gifts are wrapped. I'm staring at them as I talk to you. Um, But I'm super excited because this girl that we have on here today is going to help us prep for not only next year but to start before the new year starts. I know a lot of times people like myself, I like to plan my new year's resolutions Nine times out of ten, I make it to, like, the first quarter of the year, and then after that, I kind of lose it. Um, But with this girl's help, I feel like I'm going to be able to reach all my financial goals. Um, So we're going to intro our guest and get right to a really cool episode. This girl is a Canadian personal finance mentor. She helps millennials reach their ambitious money goals and thus her business, Ambitious Adulting, was created to build a platform that simplifies personal finances to save more, make more, and reduce money stress, just in time for the holiday season. She's been featured on CBC, the Burn Your Mortgage podcast, the Hamilton Spectator, and the Personal Finance Show. Please welcome Liz, creator and founder of Ambitious Adulting. All right, everyone, like promised, please welcome Liz to the Tea with Tash podcast, where we love to spill all the tea and try to learn a new thing or two in the process. Liz, tell us how you're doing. I am doing great. I am excited to chat with you. Well, like I said to you earlier before we started, my friend suggested to have you on here as a guest. And after researching, I felt like this was the best time of year for this type of information with Christmas coming up and hopefully a new year. I'm sure everybody's going to have new not only physical goals by going to the gym, but financial goals as well, since we're such in a weird time in our lives. So I wanted to start off about, um, or getting you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started your business. Totally. So my name is Liz and I started my brand Ambitious Adulting 
officially in 2018, but I started blogging in 2016, even though I didn't really know how to blog. I just kind of used my blog as a journal. Um, after I had bought my first property, I was starting all my DIY projects, flipping my house on my own, and just writing about what I had learned and what, I, what mistakes I had made. And what I realized is a lot of people really didn't care about like how I made my own headboard. They really wanted to know how I saved up for a down payment when I was 24 after traveling to over 20 countries. So they're like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you paying for all of this? And that's what people wanted to know. So I'm like, oh, you guys care about this? Like, okay, I'll just tell you. So I started writing about personal finances and that's how my brand grew really based on the questions that I was getting asked from my followers. Wow. And like, for me, this is a good timing to have you on because I've been in the market of starting to look for a property and I'm also 24. Um, but I feel like in a way, like I'm ready, but I'm not at the same time because I'm scared to spend that money that I've worked so hard for, um, you know, just hustling and all the overtime shifts. And I feel like why put it all in one basket? And I know like, you know, we're in a pandemic, so it's a little bit more stressful, not in a financial way for me, gratefully, but, you know, for a lot of people during this time, I think a lot of questions that I've been getting is how can you thrive financially during like a lockdown like this? Yeah. And it is such a strange time for so many of us. And I mean, I lived through, and you probably lived through 2008, 2009 when there was, but I was not like this. So it's hard for even me to say, this is what you have to do. Boom, boom, boom. Because I'm just learning along with everybody else. And as we all try to navigate this together, but there are some kind of sound financial principles that we can go through later, but buying a property, it is a big and scary decision. And I think I would have been stuck pondering more if I didn't have a sense of urgency. So I was moving out of an ex-boyfriend's house and really needed a place to sleep and live because I was sleeping in my friend's house on a blow-up mattress. Um, Even though I had the money, I was just in this weird transition phase of like trying to figure out what to do. And he was renovating his house and I was like living out of a few garbage bags of clothes. And I'm like, okay, this is clearly like not the long-term path. And so I had like that sense of urgency to buy the property. But if I was in this like really great financial position and like living my best life, I probably would have been humming and hawing until now and never would have had that push to just get in. So it's really about personal circumstances. And I think sometimes like these tough moments are really what helps you get motivated and like guides you and forces you to make quicker decisions instead of being in this ideal situation where you have the luxury of time so totally we're all in a position right now where it could be challenging but I always like to be optimistic and be like okay what can I learn from this experience totally and I think for myself um, personally like through this whole quarantine and lockdown COVID um, the way I've been trying to like improve myself is I've done a little bit of education on stocks um, with the help of some family members and I've done a decent job, I would think, um, just getting into them. And do you have any any advice for people who want to utilize this time to get ahead in some way? I think this is a perfect time for research, um, especially, you know, for people who are like, okay, this is a catalyst for so many of us. 
because it's disrupting our everyday flow. It's disrupting the way we think about life. And so many people I know are moving out of big cities because they're like, I can't believe how much time I was wasting or like, they're just making major changes in their life. So I think that while it's horrible, like that there's so many job losses um, and all the negative things happening with the pandemic, obviously people being sick, there can be opportunities to look for solutions. And one of those is spending a lot more, we're all spending a lot more time online. So if you can actively spend some time learning, um, if you have like the mental capacity to sit down, read some blogs, listen to podcasts um, like this one, it's really important to fill your brain with information. And that's how I started learning about investing. I don't have any formal finance training. I just read everything I could on blogs online. Well, and it's just like the simplicity of like just reading what you need to read. Like for myself, you know, as a podcaster, I started this podcast at the beginning, like right before we got locked down. And I've said it a million times on this podcast that what I do here is I want to be able for someone to learn one thing from me. And if one person is able to take something away from my podcast, like I feel like I've done my job. So I love having people like you on. Um, But just as a, because I know you've also in your bio, I've read that you started two side hustles at the same time. Um, What were some tips that you might have for people who start a side hustle, um, which doesn't necessarily make them money to start, but to get them to generate some income? Yeah, so I had my first side hustle, shout out Hamilton. I started that in 2015, 2016, and that was managing social media accounts on the side. And I was making money right away. because I, that was kind of the purpose. I wasn't like, I'm just going to try this for fun. Like I went in with the intention of how do I get my first client? So I think that's also key when creating your side hustle, like give yourself a grace period. If you're okay with working for free, which I technically did for ambitious adulting, I didn't really go into this business knowing it was going to be a profitable side hustle. It was more of like a hobby journal blog for me. And then that turned into a side hustle. But I gave myself a deadline because, as you mentioned, I was running both of them at the same time. And it was, they were both doing well and I was profitable, but I was still working a full-time job. So I gave myself a deadline to be like, okay, I'm going to try to hit, you know, $8,000, I think it was, like $8,000 a month. And once I do that, I will quit my job. Um, So then that's when I was able to quit. I think I made $10,000 one month. And I was like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing. So... Give yourself a grace period where you maybe work for free, but if you leave that too long, you're going to burn out. Unless this is going to be a hobby, then it's not a side hustle. A side hustle should be profitable. Otherwise, it's just a hobby. And then you don't, it doesn't matter if you're making money or not, if you love what you're doing. But for me, I'm always in like a growth mindset. Um, And I went into my first side hustle wanting it it to make more money so that I could stop living paycheck to paycheck. And then my second side hustle, Ambitious Adulting, was a little bit more fluid and kind of, yeah, not as linear, but it all worked out. Yeah, like I find, especially for myself, like as a, I'm like, I would consider myself a newer podcaster in this like podcasting world where it's like, I'm still fairly new trying to figure out all the trials and errors of like what to do, how to do it. And I find that now I'm able to hopefully like turn it into some sort of profit. 
Um, I don't think automatically I'll be, you know, a crazy podcaster where I'm making millions of dollars, but even just a little bit to help make this more profitable. I mean, I don't know how else to put it for myself. Like, like you said, you worked a full-time job with doing some stuff on the side. And I would consider this right now as a hobby, but turning it into something profitable is so difficult on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find that sometimes, especially in this realm of business, it's hard to do like, it's hard to become profitable as a podcaster without becoming an influencer and being in people's faces all the time. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to have one or the other. So that's where I'm stuck with, but that's on another scale. Um, But totally. Well, some businesses are easier to monetize earlier. Like for social media management, I just needed one client to pay me a certain amount. And I started charging, I think it was like $250 a month per account, which is super, super cheap. But I was like, I had no marketing background. Like I have a geography degree and I'm like, let me just see if this works. So it was really like, I'm not going to work for free, but I'm going to work for like really, really cheap just to get my foot in the door. But with adulting, I essentially sell services and offer financial coaching and side hustle coaching. And I needed to build an audience to sell to, um, essentially becoming an influencer, like a micro influencer. And that takes a lot more time. So there was really not a clear way on how to monetize ambitious adulting without a following. Right. Not only is a longer route, Um, but yeah, so it depends on the business. Like you might be able to monetize right away. Anything kind of like that requires an audience needs to require time for you to build that audience and put in the work. Totally. And thankfully, um, my Instagram followers came through and gave us so many questions for you, like so overwhelming. Um, so we'll start with the first one here. What are her tips to invest with a little amount of money? Yeah, that's a great one. Um, A lot of times people think you need a lot of money to start investing. And the reality is you can start with under $100. And it depends on the route you want to take. So some stocks are 80 bucks, 70 bucks, 50 bucks, you could buy a single stock of something for less than $100. That's the riskier route, because now you're putting kind of all your eggs in one basket. The other alternative is to buy something called an exchange traded fund. And essentially, that's a collection of stocks. So for example, there can be an exchange-traded fund that just holds Canadian companies, and it could be the top banks, plus Shopify, plus CN Rail. And so you can eat, uh, you can um, own parts of those companies by buying this ETF, mm-hmm. and sometimes you can buy those for under $100. So both of these options you would do through an online brokerage something. Um, I don't know if I should name names because <laughs> I don't want to encourage people. I don't want to just throw names yeah, out there. Yeah, of course. Like, like I'm going to go buy this stuff. Um, yeah. But Is yeah, there- you can go through a, ro- a robo-advisor or through a brokerage online. So type that in online to say, how do I buy ETFs or how do I buy stocks in Canada? And uh, I have a bunch of resources on my website, Ambitious Adulting, to help you with that as well. Perfect. Is there one of the two ways that you suggest more than the other? So stocks are a riskier option. Um, So it kind of depends. Like if you have a little bit of money, but you have a good chunk of savings and you don't have a lot of debt and you're just kind of scared, 
maybe look into stocks, but the safer option would be through a robo-advisor and then an exchange-traded fund. Interesting. I'm definitely going to look into that, even though I've already started my stocks. It's such a whirlwind of an experience, I think, because, you know, I put all this money in and then my boyfriend's like, oh, you know, you lost a little bit here. I'm like, what? Oh my God. How could I lose? <laughs> like, I'm almost- You don't lose until you sell. You do not lose until you sell. Exactly. So, so then- um, recently I've been doing kind of well and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, so I can just take this out. And he's like, no, you can't touch that money. Like just leave it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Everyone's been doing well right now. Like the stock market's at an all time high. It's insane. I'm doing so well. I'm, I'm almost tempted to take out money, but I don't need it right now. And the, the, before you start investing, you need to understand like, what do you need the money for? Is it going to be a day trader to have money come in? Like, as a form of income or is it more of a long-term thing? Cause if it's long-term, these small fluctuations where you're doing really well and not doing really well, shouldn't play into your decision-making if you're a long-term investor. Right. Um, our next question is the biggest money wasters for millennials. We have a lot of like millennial questions. Um, yeah. Cause I feel like the most basic one that we could probably kick off here. So yeah, money wasters for millennials. I think ordering in, and I'm guilty of this too, Totally, it's so much cheaper. Like, obviously we all know it's so much cheaper to cook at home and I don't like cooking. So I'm notorious I for ordering in, but sometimes it really adds up and I'm like, Oh God, like why the delivery fee, obviously the meal itself, it's just so inflated. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, I should have just made this at home. And it would have been a fraction of the cost. Totally. I've done that so many times where I'm like, I'm just going to DoorDash McDonald's. And then it's like a $30 order when yeah, I could do one of two things, make my own burger or two, just drive there myself and then pay yeah. $20 less for delivery or whatever. Right. Um, which totally. I find huge. And especially during this time, I think with everybody being stuck at home, we're getting so bored of eating at home. Mm-hmm. But I remember in like the bulk of it, when we first went into lockdown, like, I think that's when I saved the most money this year. A lot of people have, and I know that, you know, other people are really struggling, but most of my clients, um, have saved money because they realize, you know, they don't have to drive as much. They're not eating out as much. They're not going out as much and all these other expenses, childcare, they were able to cut out, you know, forcefully because they had to, but you start seeing like, wow, if I really live a little bit more simply, uh, I can save a lot. Yeah. And I just find that maybe it's different right now. Um, and I'm not sure where you are, where are I'm, you? I'm just outside of Toronto. Okay. So we're in the same country, obviously. Um, yeah. I'm in Vancouver and right now we're going into like a smaller lockdown, but malls and restaurants and all those are still open, um, which is where I find the most temptation because you don't want to cook at home. But like, oh, but you can go to the the restaurant and eat because you can still do that. Whereas I feel like before I was like, okay, we can't go to restaurants. We can't do this. We can't do that. Let's try something new. Like the motivation to eat at home was more there because you could only do takeout, which required you to go and get it, which is where I get lazy. Um, but now we have that option where that's where I'm tempted to like take out or do what I need to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ordering in is a huge money waste, but I hear you guys. I'm a millennial too, and I do it. So if you're really trying to cut down though, like that's the number one thing. I'm not saying never eat out and never order in, but we all, I don't 
don't, you don't need an expert to tell you. Yeah, exactly. Um, what advice can you give for millennials who think they can never get into the housing market? Yeah, I mean, this is so tough because it is so hard and yeah. uh, it was easier. Like I bought my first property in 2016 and that was hard. I did it on my own. Mm-hmm. I, was I literally was so house poor. Or I put in my full down payment, 20%. I got to get in. Like uh, prices are going so much higher. Right. Um, and then this year or last year, I bought another property and it was even harder. So know that it is hard and it does take a ton of work and also know that there's lots of strategies. So um, one of the things that people do is co-sign and there's no shame if your parents have to co-sign because your income isn't high enough, but you have really good savings mm-hmm. and enough to have parents or people around you who trust that you're going to make the payments. That's an option. Um, I mean, there's other options like house hacking is becoming really popular. And What's that's house hacking. Yeah. It's when you buy a house, you still have to qualify, which is pretty tricky, especially mm-hmm. single income, but then you rent out rooms in that house. And so now you're pretty much living for free or living at a reduced rate and you're making money through appreciation on your house because the value is going up plus possibly through cash flow, which means that you're making a profit off of the rooms that you're renting. And I know a lot of people doing this um, either by moving their friends in with them. So now instead of being roommates, you know, and then paying rent, you have roommates, but you're the landlord. The other way people are doing this is they're buying properties that have an additional, additional unit. So like um, they live in the main floor and then rent out the basement Mm -hmm. and offsets the cost of your mortgage. Yeah. And I find that, um, like I come from a traditional, you know, Italian household where we have, have had that situation where we had somebody living in the basement, which would pretty much offset everything else. Um, but a lot of people, I would say, even in my culture are very, um, how do I say this without sounding like an idiot? Um, (laughs) very strict on the fact of like, property is the only way you can make money. So buy as much property as you can. And as true as that is, it's also not true at the same time. Am I right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's so hard now. Like it's easier for people to say that when they could buy houses for half of what they are now. Right. Nice. Like you can't really do that. Another option to own real estate without having a ton of money is through buying REITs. So REITs are essentially a collection of real estate properties that you can own like a stock. So oh, you could okay. like a smart center. You wouldn't like own it. You, it's like a stock, right? You own yeah. part of right. Smart center essentially. Um, or yeah, there's different, there's different REITs out there. So again, for all your listeners, if you're like, I want to get into real estate, but I don't have a hundred thousand dollars for a down payment or $50,000 for a down payment, you can get into real estate with by buying REITs if that's after you do your research if that's the route you want to do interesting so see this is like this is exactly what I'm talking about I love things like I never knew about that or house hacking like who knew that was even a thing until I just talked to you um yeah I mean and you guys were doing it if you had someone living in the basement that's essentially exactly or like we used to host like international students yeah before COVID was a thing and I mean 
during times when they were tougher, my parents would have, you know, three or four students. And I mean, you don't realize as a child, like why they're there or whatever, but now as an adult, you're like, holy shit, like they're like bringing it in. Yeah. I mean, that's innovative. And I love hearing stories like that. Like everyone has had to make it work one way or another, like we're all hustling. And so I love being inspired by other people's strategies. It's like, okay, that's a cool idea too. Like, how can I implement that in my life? Totally. And I feel like because I was, um, and of an age where I was aware that we were going through a hard time, like financially as a family, that I am the saver that I am. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, yeah, which is great. But then at the same time, I am also the spender that I am because I'm like, well, I've worked so hard. I'm going to buy this or I'm going to treat myself to dinner every Friday for the rest of my life. Like that type of attitude, which I have to get out of, but it's so hard even with the Christmas holidays, you know, coming up and Christmas gifts and, you know, you don't want to go overboard. And even though my family and I have decided to do a low key Christmas, I've probably already still spent over a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're in this stage of realization where you can be a saver But there is something about like, we all have what's called money blueprints. And it's like, why are you the way you are? Like, why do you spend the way you do? Why do you save the way you do? And I spent a lot of time like understanding my money blueprint to be like, oh, I'm a super saver and I'm super aggressive when it comes to investing because I didn't have money growing up. And I like love the feeling of being financially secure. Totally. And so for me, that's why I don't really care about spending money and like buying a ton of gifts because like that's not my priority my priority is like extreme financial stability and security so if something doesn't align with that it's easy for me to say no I don't need it yeah I gotta I gotta start doing that because one Aritzia clientele email and I am like in a loophole (laughs) like it's done (laughs) yeah I mean it might help and then that's fine too like you're young it's like whatever enjoy your life but if you point where you're like I want a really clear, like if you have a really clear and serious goal of maybe like, I don't know, $70,000 in savings or $50,000 in savings. Right. I'm easier to be like, uh, let me unsubscribe to these emails because obviously I'm spending money here and it's taking away from my goal. Totally. So that's a strategy that works to be like, okay, what am I really, really working for? And is this product or service in alignment and going to help me get there faster? Yeah. And I also find too, um, as disheartening as it is, is following, unfollowing them on Instagram or social media platforms. Cause sometimes yeah. just that constant like promotion of, Oh, Aritzia's clientele, Lululemon's, we made too much sale. It's like uh, how in my head, I'm like, how could I give up a deal like that? But my bank account's like, yeah, you can give up a deal like that. Like you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and- I know. I don't follow anything like that online. Like I do not subscribe to newsletters you have to like reduce temptation because totally. it's all around us. And I also work in marketing. So like I do my oh. marketing, I worked in marketing for brands. Like I know how this machine works and oh. I know how easy it is to be sucked into social media and how easy it is to quickly check out because everything is saved on your computer. And these, all these marketing techniques, like a sense of urgency, social proof, like all these buzzwords. I'm like, yeah, it's working. Like it's working on me because I use this on people. So yeah, I just unsubscribe to all of that. So 
so that I don't have temptations. So that's a really good tip um, for everybody. Um, the next question is, what should low-income millennials be investing in or prioritizing? What should low-income millennials be investing in or prioritizing? So right. it really depends um, if there's debt involved. So debt, especially high-interest debt, should be the priority. Even if you're a high-income millennial, you can be high-income and still go wild on your credit card. So for low-income millennials, um, yeah, prioritize paying off debt. Look into any debt relief programs. Look into any grants, especially if you're a student. Like I got a bunch of grants because I had no money and neither did my family. So I was really kind of fortunate, I guess, to be able to get a bunch of um, financial support. So look into all of these programs out there. Also look into like discounts. A lot of times, especially prior to COVID, like you could go to community centers and stuff. And if you if your income wasn't high enough, you would get like a discounted membership and stuff. Yeah. So just asking, looking around and seeing what services are available, um, you get ahead faster. Yeah. And this is just a side question just that just came to me. How important is credit? It's important for borrowing money. Good credit score. Okay. Yeah. If you're going to, essentially, if you're ever going to apply for a loan, like a car loan or a mortgage, the banks and institutions use your credit score to determine how responsible you are at managing borrowed money. So if you have a good credit score, it just shows them, okay, this girl pays her bills on time. She doesn't overextend herself. She doesn't max out her credit cards. She is a trustworthy person to lend out money to. If you have a low credit score, it shows them the opposite and it kind of makes them a little bit weary and that's how people get declined um, for mortgages, for loans, and sometimes even rent. Uh, For my rental property, we asked for their credit scores. And I know a lot of landlords ask for credit scores because it shows that you are will like that you can pay your bills on time. Huh? Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I would have to admit that I'm not into a lot of like, get, like I would not have gotten into stocks on my own. I would not have figured out my credit score on my own. My boyfriend is a huge influence on me when it comes to finances and saving money and doing everything to utilize all these tricks and tips um, so I'm lucky that I have him. And one of the questions that we talked about together was how important would it be to start a TFSA and what way should people use it to invest once money is in there? Yeah, a TFSA is a great tool for every Canadian. Essentially, you can invest money within your TFSA and any money that you make on that. So any profit you make is not taxed. Um, And so that's why it's a tax-free savings account because any other way you make money, like at your job, you have to pay taxes on that. But within your TFSA, you don't pay taxes on the money you make. And you can open it as soon as you turn 18 and start investing. The easiest way to start investing is through a robo-advisor. And that's in Canada and similar in the U.S. They have similar programs. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, Uh, Yeah, so the easiest way to start investing is through a robo-advisor, and you can open up a TFSA with a robo-advisor, so it's all kind of works in together. You can also open a TFSA through a bank, 
and you can also open a TFSA through a private, like one of these investment management firms. So there's lots of ways to open a TFSA, but the most important thing is to open it and then start investing within it. Yeah. So when you say investing in it, does that mean just like simply putting money in it and not touching it? Yes and no. Okay. You can have money sitting in a TFSA that's not invested and that's not really doing anything. Right. Because you want it in a stock or in an ETF or in a mutual fund. So a robo-advisor picks the ETFs for you after you do a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. They do a questionnaire. They say, when do you need the money? Why do you want this money? All these questions. And then they say, okay, based on what you told us, you are a balanced investor and this is what you should invest in. And then you say, okay, sounds good. That's the passive route for investing where you don't have to do any research. The active route is through investing in your TFSA and now you have to do research on what stocks or exchange traded funds or mutual funds you wanna buy. And that's a more difficult route, but also a route people take. So there's kind of the choose your own adventure. Like, do you want to do a bunch of research or do you want an algorithm and a team of experts to just tell you what to buy? So there's two different routes there. My mind is like so blown because I have like so many questions in my head that we could go off on a tangent about, but I'm just like not (laughs) sure how to get it out in words. That's Uh, why I love what I do because I feel like, you know, everyone always comes to me and they're like, I had no idea about this. Or like, I didn't learn. Totally. Like, I know it's okay. Like nobody knows about this and it's not a secret. Like once you go rabbit hole, you can like learn pretty easily and quickly, but it's been a 10 year journey for me to learn all of this. Right. So I'm like, yo, here you go. Just have all this information. Cause it took me a decade to figure it out. Totally. And one of like the last things I wanted to touch on with you um, before I let you go is what like types of services and stuff do you provide to help, um, millennials like myself, um, like what programs and st- I know we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but, um, just cause now I'm very interested and I probably will start working with you. Um, <laughs> what, what kind of pr- services do you provide in situations like these? Yeah. So I don't have like a certified financial planner title or anything. What I do is I offer mentorship to educate millennials, um, on on personal finances in general. So I have my signature program, it's six weeks long, and we start with the basics, like, you know, why is it important to have a high interest savings account? What is inflation? How should you organize your bank accounts? And then we work our way through six weeks and then end up on, this is how you start investing. So that's my six week money mentorship. And then I have a two week program that's for people who are already really good at saving, they're already good at, you know, managing their money. They're not too concerned about their debt. And it's an investing boot camp. So it's two weeks of videos and live calls. And we just dive straight into like, what is the stock market? What is a bull and bear market? What is market volatility? You know, how do you do research on stocks or should you buy ETFs? And it's two weeks to help people just jump into investing who are already good at money management. So I offer financial education mostly in courses and I do one-on-ones as well, but mostly courses. Awesome. I mean, I, my mind is like completely blown. Um, you and I are going to spend a good chunk of time together now because of all the information (laughs) you just gave me. Um, and just for the simple thought of me, you know, like we spoke about earlier, like me being in a situation where I was aware 
that my parents were struggling. And at that age, you could do nothing about it. But now I am at an age that I can prevent it for my own self to the point where it like gives me anxiety to move out because I'm so scared that I won't be able to provide for myself, Um, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is common, especially for people at my age who are just about looking into properties and stuff like that. Um, But just tell us where we can find you and how we can support you um, through any platform. Yeah. So I am on every platform, even TikTok. I joined that. I was like, oh my God, here we go. That's where I saw you on TikTok. Oh my God. It's so cringe, but it's, it's a lot of fun. But when I look back, I'm like, dear Jesus, what am I doing? I think everybody cringes when they look back at themselves. Yeah. I can't even re-listen to our podcast sometimes. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I sound so dumb. What is wrong with me? And it's like so young and they make me feel so old. I'm like, are you serious? Like I'm only 29. Like I'm still hip. I, anyway, yeah, like, Let me do it. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm like, come on kids. Um, it's ambitious adulting. Awesome. And do you want to plug any of your other businesses as well since you're here? Yeah, I mean, I have shout out to Hamilton. That's mostly social media support for small businesses, but really just adulting is where I help millennials and young people like Gen Z's, whatever, anyone uh, learn about personal finances because it's just such an important topic. We all have money. We all make money. We all stress out about money. Like, let's start talking about it. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for your time and for all of that information. Like I said, my mind is completely blown and I'm going to stare at my bank account for like the next five hours just thinking about it. Um, But thank you so much. And I can't wait to learn a thing or two more from you. So just thank you for your time. My pleasure. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Liz. Personally, I think this episode I've learned more about finances than I have from my own bank. Um, I'm super excited to hopefully work with Liz in the new year. And I just wanted to give a quick apology because I talked about myself a lot this episode. Um, But the reasoning for that is because I felt so connected to the stuff that she was saying that I could make sense in my own head. Um, But I just noticed as I was like editing the podcast and like fixing certain things that I sounded like, oh, in my opinion, my personal opinion, my whatever. Um, So I just wanted to apologize for that. But I just want you guys to know that it was because I felt so connected and I understood what she was talking about, which made me connect scenarios in my head. Um, which made sense for me. So I just wanted to apologize quickly on that end. But I was so happy that Liz took the time to chat with us because I feel like certain things when it comes to your finances, when it comes to money, when it comes to taxes, credit scores, mortgages, ways of creating income, I feel like is so is so not taught in schools, which is so ridiculous because had I learned about that in school, I probably would have been better at math. You guys heard it here first. I'm saying it. Um, But I'm so lucky that I met her. I'm super excited to hopefully work with her in the new year um, and get my financial goals right up to where they need to be. And I just really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I've said before, if you guys loved it, please leave a review. Subscribe, rate, review. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. And well, until next week, leave spilling the tea to me. Bye, guys.